0: Welcome to episode 97 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by the liquor store of Jackson Hole, growing with our community since 1985. Please visit the slash TLS to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole, I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other, and I intend to search out people and their stories, which will teach us all a little about life outside of our everyday circle. My guest today is John Guider, a mountain guide, teacher, backcountry enthusiast, TED Talk speaker, national thought leader, and as someone said to me today, an all-around damn good person. Originally from Colorado, John has always had a special connection to Jackson Hole and the mountains of Wyoming. John works with businesses around the globe, executive teams, students of the University of Pennsylvania, and even astronauts who are currently serving on the International Space Station. Today, John will share with us some great insights he teaches to the lucky folks who have an opportunity to work with him and learn from him. Today, we will learn his perspective about risk and how each of us can develop leadership in our lives and how to make a positive impact on the lives of others. John, thank you for joining me virtually for an episode here at the Jackson Hole Connection. I am delighted and honored that you've found some time to uh, spend with me this afternoon. Thank you. Welcome.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm super pleased to be here, Steph, And I'm rather psyched, too, to be given the auspicious number of 97. That's a really good number. <laughs> <laughs> so-
0: Somewhere it means good luck. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's probably a prime number.
0: Yeah. Well, John, let's start off of how you landed here in Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. What is your connection? And when you came to Jackson Hole, who were you at that time? Who was John Canningator?
1: Okay, well, it starts growing up in Colorado in a mountain town, Evergreen, Colorado, and always loving the outdoors and being involved in the outdoors and eventually becoming a mountain climbing guide which brought me to the national outdoor leadership school based in lander back in 1986 and had a long long run in lander but being a mountaineer and a climber and skier you know i'd spend a lot of time up here in, in the jackson area so uh after a long career there and just about eight years ago now, um, moved up to the Jackson area to finally settle in as a change, change of life and be close to the Tetons that I always loved. I get to wake up every morning and see the Grand and I'm a couple minutes from the ski area. And so I really feel like I'm fulfilled a life dream of where I ended up. So that's what, what brought me here. It's, it's the place, the mountains, the people. And the ease of travel didn't hurt at all because as I got here, I do a lot of travel for work and flying in and out of Riverton is a different experience than flying in and out of Jackson.
0: (laughs) I bet it is. (laughs) If anybody's curious when you get home and it's safe to Google this, just Google the Riverton airport and you'll understand what John's talking about. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So John, when you were, in your early days of being a mountain climber and a climbing guide who are some of those iconic mountain climbers that really set the tone for the world of mountain climbers not just here in the u.s but just internationally that you came in contact with
1: wow well um i've always had a huge fondness for mountaineering history and polar history Uh, many of my great heroes are Unfortunately, gone before I even arrived. <laughs> um, but for sure, the days of, of uh, Chenard, Yvonne Chenard, and learning uh, from his books, as well as Paul Petzold. I remember one of the first wilderness books I read was The Knowles Wilderness Guide before I ever started working for Knowles. Uh, those, those two guys were pretty in- instrumental. A guy named Willie Unsold, uh, who was on that first American team to summit Mount Everest um, back in 1963 was a huge influence. Charlie Houston, uh, another famous mountaineer doctor of high altitude mountaineering, as well as K2 climber with Paul Petzel. Just fascinating stories from, from all those elders, I'd say. And so great that so many of them, you know, really established themselves here in the Tetons. This was this was the North American Alps, as far as we were concerned.
0: Well, I, I'm curious to know more about Knowles, but before we get there, that's sure. that's a big statement, and for me, at least, to hear you say that this is like the North American Alps, the Teton Range. There's some other major mountain ranges and, and peaks to climb in here in North America. Mm-hmm. Why, has, why do you feel that the Tetons has received that identity? I
1: think uh, yeah, I agree with you on all accounts. I mean, growing up in the Rockies, the Colorado Rockies, there, there was an old quote that I loved from a, a, a book that the, the Rockies are the marrow of the earth and the Alps are for children to climb. <laughs> and uh i always kind of believe that uh, but the tetons are this just iconic mountain range that just lift up as we all know from the flats and, and from the plains in a way um, the steepness of them the the fact that there's ice and snow routes like the alps uh, as well as rock climbing routes everywhere the north cascades are another mountain range that in similar ways you know rival the Alps in some ways, but they're just spread out so far where, where these are just so prolific right here. And the fact that they have all types of Alpine climbing and possibilities makes them really exciting. I always remember another old quote that was great about the Tetons, that the Tetons are great rock, great handholds, you can take them with you anywhere. Mm. <laughs> so the idea that uh, it's not the, the best rock in the world, because uh, it's got a lot of loose rock thus those those handholds that you can take with you but um, but tremendous opportunities for big
0: big mountains and big walls. Okay and and so let's go back to Knowles mm-hmm. and uh, provide a little bit of history of and information about how Knowles started and how you became involved in Knowles and exactly what is Knowles. What is their Mm. more value and and their mission statement there sure yeah
1: so Knowles started in 1965 started by paul petzelt who i mentioned earlier really as a offshoot of a school um the outbound school colorado outbound school and petzelt was creating a uh, a program to help train guides originally was the idea and then through the unrest of the 60s, late 60s, you really saw um, the need for leadership among uh, this disenfranchised youth uh, at that time. And so the idea, the, you know, the format was pretty simple. Take people out on long-duration expeditions, put them in real-life leadership situations uh, where the decisions they make are the decisions they live with on a daily basis. There's no... No redos if you haven't, uh, if you left your boots outside your tent at night and there's a big storm. So it teaches people self care. That's one of the main values. It teaches people about wilderness. He saw a, a wilderness even at that time that was starting to get diminished and saw the need for people to, to understand and respect uh, the use of wilderness in a way that, that kept it long term, for long term use. Uh, anyway, so the idea of taking people in the, in the outdoors to teach leadership and outdoor skills that both, um, promote the safety of themselves and the environment is really at the core of the Knowles.
0: And I love that. And thank you for sharing the part about when you're outside in your tent, (laughs) outside and sleeping in a tent, if you leave your boots outside, there's, there's, um, many things that can happen to those (laughs) boots while you're asleep in your tent. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and and now with you participating in Knowles when you first started um where has that taken you where you are in your life now Hmm.
1: well it's interesting so maybe i'll start with where i am which is um i'm a, a principal of a small consulting firm here based in jackson called zero point partners and we do work with uh executives through executive coaching, uh, strategic planning with organizations, and uh, working with executive teams and their their challenges. I'm also a senior fellow at the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, where I teach in uh, both the MBA programs and the executive education programs there. And the last thing I ever thought, Stefan, in my life is that I would be, one, uh, thinking about business, let alone teaching within the framework of business that was probably and then beyond that i thought international business has got to be that's just crazy stuff i don't even have a clue where to start with that but i would say going back to my Knowles days everything that i know now i often say everything i learned about business or leadership i learned in the wilderness uh, on expeditions with people because it's the same the same formats, the same stuff. You have a a group that's trying to achieve some sort of goal and they've got to put some sort of plan together and they have some sort of roles within the group and some sort of leadership to help them get from point A to their goal, their eventual destination. Um, So I would say uh, while I started out as a mountaineering instructor and I was passionate about wanting to teach these technical skills. About midway through my career there of 29 years, I was, suddenly became more and more fascinated with how is it that some great, like highly technical mountaineering teams don't achieve summits? And how is it that some that have sort of mediocre talent, of which I've even been a part of, have success at times, and, and what is it about the components of that and that 's really about leadership and teamwork and so I went back to study more formally and got a master's in, in specifically leadership and executive coaching. My focus sh- shifted I would say more towards that aspect of the expedition and so that just kind of took me along the way to where I am now, and I think between there at newell's um, i had the opportunity to work on quite a number of different roles, um, everything from from the operations side of the school and and in safety and risk management and supervising all the different um, expeditions that went out. And during that time, um, I had the opportunity to debrief just about a thousand different expeditions. So by debriefing, find, you know, reading through all the paperwork, interviewing the instructors, the students over that last month, um, going through their whole plan. I really learned vicariously, I'd say, through, through a lot of those expeditions. I also learned a lot about crisis management and then eventually put that into uh, a role at Knowles, which was the director for professional training. So taking the Knowles concepts to organizations and doing also consulting work, which uh, took me to where I am today and, and ended my career there working as the director for leadership. So responsible for um, the leadership curriculum and all its different forms and, and development. So that's a little bit of a long winded answer, but to give you a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah. Not long at all. Very, very thorough <laughs> and, and insightful. I appreciate it. And, and it spurs so many questions for me. And I'm sure the listeners have many questions as well. And i apologize that I probably won't even reach um, half of those. Are you still involved in teaching executives and leadership teams through using the wilderness as a a teaching tool?
1: Yeah. um, You know, my
0: heart is still
1: always in this idea of experiential education. So it's easy for me to talk about leadership and just as we sit on this phone call uh, and podcast We can throw out some themes of of leadership and some of them will make pretty good sense for some of the listeners. So maybe even be able to apply them in a situation that they're thinking about. But the actual application during an experience that I'm having right now is a way to really ground it, I think, in terms of a cognitive learning around leadership. So no better place to do that than in the wilderness like we were talking about um unfortunately what's hard is it's it's tricky you get you know i sometimes get these phone calls from folks hey we'd like to take our executive team on an expedition or do, do something like you, you are describing uh talk with them and after hearing what they'd say you know some questions just go well all right that sounds like eh, probably like we want to be out for about a week travel on either end and usually the other end of the phone call there's usually one of two responses like there's either long silence or there's laughter. Wait there's no way I can take my whole executive team out away from the organization for that long and so it doesn't happen all that often, but it still occasionally does. I was down in the um, boy a super remote place of the world um, off the coast of Samoa a couple about a year ago uh, with a whole executive team of a, a hundred year organization sailing in in some pretty big seas. Uh, It was pretty exciting, you know, on a long uh, tall ship where everyone did the work. And so, yeah, it happens. What we've done these days is I've taken the elements of an expedition, which I, I think of as, you know, having a goal working as a team and having to make decisions as a team, as you're going and thought about how can you do that in a day? And uh, we, along with uh, my friends at Knowles and other partners um, developed some idea of using GPS devices much in the same way, like you might use an orienteering course, but um, taking a pretty simple concept, having them go out though and make decisions and then come coming back and then really doing deep dives on the, on the debriefing of it. So that's,
0: that's where the expedition is at oftentimes. (laughs) And when you tell some of these leaders that you would want them to come out for a week to be in the wilderness, why that time frame? Is there a reason for it?
1: Yeah, there really is. You know, most of my experience base is in, you know, like a 30-day format. And if you talk to most folks from Knowles, they'll say, yes, 30 days. That's what we need. Um, The shortest Knowles course was two weeks. And then there was always question about, could it be anything less than that? Here's the deal on on the seven day. I think you can get along and get through with most people in most situations for a few days. And it seems like somewhere around the seven to ten day frame is when the honeymoon is over. And um, (laughs) that's when the magic really starts, though, I think, because people coalesce as a team. They also show themselves uh, perhaps fully and, and more authentically I think at that point as well. And so um, that's why, that's why we have those longer days. At the same time, I always say, um, never underestimate the power of someone sleeping outside under the stars for one night and the power that that can have in their lives.
0: I love sleeping out in the stars, <laughs> it's beautiful.
1: So, yeah. yeah, it can really be life-changing for people.
0: So there's a pretty remarkable group of people that you work with now and have worked with in in the past um Mm -hmm. they're they're above us right now (laughs) (laughs) literally (laughs) literally that's right who are these people and and how did you become connected and and what did you do to help them in in the world of of leadership Mm to so they could be ripe and ready for their, their job um Yeah. So you're referring, I'm guessing, to
1: uh, NASA and astronauts and and this whole uh, group and slice of life. And the the story on that started in 1999. We were coming out of the Cold War that first decade. We were looking for, we being the United States, looking for um, ways to collaborate with the new Russia. And the space station seemed like a, a great opportunity for that, the International Space Station. And we had had, so we sent a, a NASA astronaut up onto the Mir Space Station, and uh, he stayed with some cosmonauts. And what NASA at that point had been, sh- had been flying short-duration space missions through the space shuttle, so up to 14 days in length. And here the Russians were going for, you know, um, like this International Space Station now, for for half a year at a time. And those, those are two very disparate experiences. And so um, we sent you know a former shuttle uh, astronaut up there and we found that, man, they were not great experiences, just in terms of how the teams worked and, and just this idea of a short duration expedition versus a long duration expedition. So NASA came back kind of scratching their heads saying, what do we do and who do we get? to do what we need to get done. And uh, they came to Knowles and I had mentioned I was the director of the um, Professional Training Institute at that time. And we ran a pilot program uh, down in the canyons of Southeast Utah uh, to work with astronauts uh, on this concept of long duration missions. So the idea that you really have to keep track of your stuff and uh, a lot of self-care You have to do and put a lot of energy into what we called at that time expedition behavior, so good expedition behavior, um, helping to support each other, helping to work towards the mission, and uh, also this idea of um, getting through some tolerance for adversity and uncertainty over time. That program really flourished, and I was really proud and pleased to work with lots of different shuttle crews and uh, through, through time there at Knolls and still beyond as well with International Space Station crews. So it really became an, uh, this idea of forming a really strong team in a wilderness analog before going into flight. And the, uh, right now, the I'm happy to say that the commander of the International Space Station right now Chris Cassidy, Commander Chris Cassidy. Uh, I was fortunate to work with him as a rookie astronaut when he first came to, to NASA. A Navy SEAL, tremendously skilled person. And he's on his, I think, fourth space flight right now and coming up on his 100th day, I think, on Thursday in orbit right now. Another 97 to go after that. I know this just because he he sends me emails from space, which is always an exciting thing to get. Wake up and see an email that came from the space station.
0: <laughs> How long does it take you to get an email from the space station? <laughs> they go pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I once got a phone call, believe it or not, um,
1: and I took it at an airport in, here in the United Lounge and in Houston, it was a bit surreal, from the space station patched through mission control to my cell phone. And I remember thinking at that moment, like, man, am I gonna get hit with some hefty roaming charges on this <laughs> call or what? As it turns out, you know, they're only 250 miles above us uh, all oh. the time. So we think that they're way off in space,
0: but they're pretty close, closer yeah. than from here to Casper. you know. Putting that in a relationship, I, I, I want to mention, if it's all right, that it, when we were talking before the show, you mentioned your dad is 95 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And think about your dad when he was a child to say, I'm going to speak to somebody on the telephone who is in space. <laughs> what would he have said? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I
1: know. We... I've talked with him and with his, he's going to be 95 coming up next week. And we talked almost on a daily basis together. And um, I just love his perspective of life because he's been through, you know, the great depression as a child to world war two. And he was a minister for his whole career as well, a Protestant minister. And so really had the gift of working with people and just his perspective on that, he taught me a, a tremendous amount of, about leadership before I even went to go study it. But the technology that he's lived through in his lifetime, we've discussed, is, is absolutely tremendous. And I'm so psyched that um, he still Skypes with me every day. So he, he <laughs> has embraced the computer. It's
0: amazing. Uh, you know, you're never too old. You put it that way. You're, you're never too old to learn something new. If your dad is learning how to skype we can learn a lot of other things
1: keeps it uh it's what keeps him in touch with all his kids
0: and the world i love it i'll be right back with john after this quick message from the show sponsor tls of jh serving the community of jackson hole since 1985. our team at the liquor store happily taste items on the market so you don't have to taste the bad shit we love receiving suggestions about new products and how we can make your shopping visit the best part of your day. TLS is so confident in the products we sell and the services provided, we have a no-hassle return policy. And coming soon, the relaunch of the Jackson Hole Wine Club. Visit com slash TLS to learn more. And for you being a teacher of leadership to people who have really important jobs in the world of business in the world of keeping a space flying device from falling out of the sky and for everybody listening and for myself what can i do to continually improving myself as a leader as a father as a parent as a husband as a business owner just life
1: yeah it's a big, open-ended question, Stefan. <laughs> you got a few hours. <laughs> well, let, let me hit on a couple of different realms. One, um, first of all, I think if you want to develop your leadership, I think of uh, really of, of three sort of foundational pieces. One, be just be a student of leadership to begin with. So read articles watch ted talks listen to podcasts like this you know learn something that that is beyond yourself and just your own experiences and then secondly put yourself in what i'd call stretch experiences so those experiences that test both you as a leader within a group and by leadership i have a foundational belief first of all that leaders leadership is about action it's not about the person in charge first of all so leadership can come from anywhere within a group and so there's i believe peer leadership there's um, that role of the designated leader or that person in charge but there's also this role of, of really a follower active follower and actively looking to see how you support the leader so back to the stretch experience find yourself at work when when there's a a leadership void or something needs to be done and you're not quite sure if if you're the best person or try it you know like put yourself into a, a stretch experience something that might be unusual my my guess is we were talking before the show just doing this podcast for you was a new direction and a new element to your own development so be a student of leadership put yourself in stretch experiences and then thirdly find yourself some mentors and i call it a like a personal board of directors so really like name five or six people in your life that can be your confidant your sounding boards for when you're making decisions that you really trust and you respect based on the work that they've done and they help guide then some of those stretch experiences as well. All right. So that's one big chunk. The second big chunk is understand, and maybe this foot's under the student of leadership, but um, for me, I really need a roadmap about what leadership even is. I, a colleague I used to work with uh, would sometimes get a call and we'd get a call in our office about, you know, well, we want to learn about leadership and Kind of like going into a library and saying, I'd like to read a good book. So it's such a huge topic. And so what I mean by structure is find some sort of roadmap that helps you think about how you see yourself within leadership formats. And for me, I find it within, like in your mind's eye, if you can imagine drawing yourself a Venn diagram, so those three circles that all intersect together, uh, in one of those bubbles, would be the role of leadership. So what role do I first play? Am I the designated leader or am I a follower or am I a peer? In the second bubble might be the skills of leadership. And most books that you find in the bookstore are gonna be books based on the skills of leadership, like 29 ways to increase your (laughs) leadership. Um, And I pare it down to five, six, seven, know that really strike you, like really communication or, Vision. My one that I love is, is tolerance for adversity and uncertainty, which is a huge one that we're dealing with right now in COVID. But anyways, defining some some skills that I might have strengths in. And then the third bubble would be the style. Like, what's my style? And style is really that intersection of, you know, your past experiences, your values, your beliefs, uh, your, how, you, how you see the world and truly the authentically you. And so being what comes to the best you, understanding what it is is about you that makes you uniquely good. Like I've found over time my style, you know, someone within groups that is pretty energetic. I like to be enthusiastic. I like to rally the team. I'm not the most detailed person though. And so uh, I need to surround myself on a team with somebody that is. And as hard as, as I could try to be more and more detailed i 'll rarely move that needle and i 'm not the most commanding sort of leader like the um, the patent sort of person you know i 'm more relational, so I rely on those attributes of of who I am to help me with my leadership so that 's big chunk number two so that first one be a student, find stretch experiences and um, your personal board of directors. you know, the second chunk is about having a roadmap and this last third one is probably the most foundational. Um, I, it's a big topic, but I find, in fact, I was just on the phone last week with uh, a guy that I work with in based in New York city, a real estate developer, has done tremendously well uh, in terms of business. But he's trying to look at like, what's the next thing? What's, what's, I need a goal. I need something. And we define ourselves oftentimes by our goals or what we do in quotations, what, and what we really need to be looking at is why the, why is what's connected to purpose. And so when you are able to do some thinking, some deep thinking about why is it that I John Canegator. I'm here on the planet. Not what my title is or what my role is or the fact that I'm this consultant, but why am I truly here? And for me personally, I'll disclose my own purpose has been about, you know, really being a person that is able to work with others based in a a statement that I have that I want to be a light, this really positive light that shines in the hearts of other people so they can see how great they really are. So that's what And I can do that doing lots of different jobs. I can do that doing a lot of different what's. But when I'm on that, when I'm fulfilling that purpose, the world is just big. And I know when I'm hitting it, you know, when I see somebody else being successful and we're working together in partnership on that, then I'm successful as well. So defining purpose, that third big chunk, not being so concerned about what you do. There's about 30 different books you can start reading now based on that conversation.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. With somebody listening in and saying, "Oh," and them thinking, wow, I really should think about my why. Mm-hmm. Give us an idea of what it really takes to do this. It's, mm-hmm. I know I've sat down and, and worked on this mm-hmm. before. It, it's not a one-time sit down and and do it. It's not like going to the drive-thru and ordering a Big Mac that it's just done. (laughs) Right. It's not, it's, it takes some work.
1: And I wish there were um, a really clear roadmap on how to, how to do this sort of thinking. It's definitely, first of all, steeped in the concept of self-awareness. So you have to really be reflective and look at yourself First of all, and, I, and by the way, I think self-awareness is probably a cornerstone or the cornerstone of successful leaders. Um, this idea to be reflective, to know my own strengths and my own weaknesses, to be emotionally intelligent. So in other words, knowing how to use emotions of both myself and within groups to achieve goals. So that, that idea of self-awareness, being really reflective is, the, is really the first step. And, and then it has to do with some reflection of, you know, what makes you happy? When you're really passionate about something and it gives you just that joy, chances are you're probably connecting with purpose on some level. You think about Mother Teresa as an example. You know, the work that she did was on a day-to-day basis was, from a human perspective, would be very difficult work, working with people who are really sick and, um, you know, that, that uh, people that are, that are really struggling in life. And probably story after story, that would just be heartache, perhaps. But she found great joy in that work. And you could say she was a very purpose driven individual that was a great leader at the same time and we have a lot of different examples of those types of people in life so be self aware find the things you really love to do and and why for me I found that um, as much as I do enjoy being alone and reflective and all that I really like working with people and so once I understood that it, it sort of gave me permission to think about Oh, how I might do that in a way that's helpful. So those are
0: maybe two entry points. Big, big steps. And, and it takes some, I know for me to do something like that, I have to be alone, quiet. And, and it allows me to truly dive into uh, figuring out what that purpose is, what makes me happy.
1: For sure. In fact, um, I would say that the, the how to get there is exactly that. you like, you got to spend some time in some good conversations with yourself without all the noise around the day-to-day work. So what that means for some people is a lot of journaling, or it might mean meditation, or um, long walks in the woods, um, but but that contemplative time away. We live in a great state for this. Um, I used to call it windshield time. <laughs> uh, drive, <laughs> whenever you drive somewhere in Wyoming, you're going to have some reflective time if you're in the car by yourself. So it means turning off the the radio and unfortunately a podcast perhaps to, to do some thinking.
0: (laughs) That's quite all right. Quite (laughs) all right. I know doing this podcast, I've had many failures. You could, you, you, if you listen to enough of these episodes, you will find several of them where I have completely messed up the episode. I, I I remember some where, I forgot to turn on the guest microphone (laughs) and you can bear, it sounds like they're talking halfway two rooms away from me because the microphone's not on. And it's like, Oh, I messed up again. And so it's, we all mess up and taking that stretch. And I appreciate what you have provided here and something that really, really sticks out for me is the tolerance for Adversity and Diversity. Uncertainty. Uncertainty. Okay. Tolerance for Adversity and Uncertainty. Yeah. With wrapping up this wealth of knowledge and experience that you have provided today, if somebody wants to reach out to you or or (laughs) some other resource of, you mentioned about leadership and getting information, um one how could they reach out to you or and as well what is maybe a resource that they could go to just to start to prime the pump mm-hmm. for for information.
1: Yeah. Um say some very quickly about that adversity and uncertainty concept because we're so in the midst of it right now with mm-hmm. this covid experience. And to me they're lumped together as concepts because one we, we we hear a lot about leadership as far as this idea of resilience or grit which is the adversity part. So the ability to um, get through difficult situations. As a, as a mountaineer, it's about weathering the storm. You know, it's about getting up even when you don't feel like it, and digging out the tent, because you know you have to, keeping your stuff together. And I've found that I'm, I'm good at the tolerance for adversity, but the uncertainty piece is how, you know, that's how long is the storm gonna last? That's the devil that we don't know. And that's the piece that's so hard. And, and we're in, again, in the midst of that right now, the adversity that we're dealing with is, yeah, we have to wear masks and keep social distancing and all that. The uncertainty is not knowing how long this is gonna last. And so the way you deal with uncertainty is you control what you can control and you really have to let go of the things that you can't control and, and, and really focus. So I don't know how long the storm's gonna last, But I can control the fact that I'm going to eat well, that I'm going to keep myself warm, that uh, I'm going to get up and and get going each day and find the inner drive to do that. So it's a great leadership skill for any person right now, just in how you approach the situation we're in in the world. And then as far as resources, um, certainly you can find me uh, via email at john. At zero point dot partners. There's no dot com, it's just dot partners and zero point, all one word, just like it sounds. And I'm happy to, I've got some resources there as well as on my LinkedIn page, uh, as well, both some stuff I've written and and a TED talk I've done. But gosh, then as far as that, going back to being a student of leadership, start reading some articles (laughs) to, to start with. You know, Harvard Business Reviews usually got some great articles on on leadership. You can find so much stuff online. Listen to to some TED talks. Just Google TED talks leadership and and start listening to what resonates with you and and what doesn't. And then certainly Knowles is a great resource uh, for leadership. I think um, at Knowles.edu. Down in based in Lander, but with the worldwide existence, I think. Yeah, so so maybe those would be more formalized programs regarding leadership. So I'd start I'd start there. And people always ask, well, what's what book do you recommend? And there, again, there's so many books, but <laughs> one that I've always appreciated um, was is a book called Leadership Without Easy Answers by a guy named Ronald Heifetz, who both uh, taught at, at Harvard, uh, as well as other places, but he's a great thinker on, on leadership and the idea that leadership doesn't always have just one answer, but many different answers, and this is this idea of adaptive leadership. So, there's some starters.
0: That's a big start. I appreciate <laughs> it, and, yeah. and I know everybody listening in will as well, and, and thank you for correcting me about the tolerance With adversity and uncertainty, and getting back into that of of explaining the difference, yeah, between adversity and uncertainty, Uh, and I really, you're very clear with your with your message, and and that's so meaningful. And I know I can learn so much from providing a clear message. And I'm sure when you're out in the wilderness you have to be really clear about what you're saying and, and the action of what you want somebody to execute on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You find that communication is one of those leadership skills uh, that I think has to really be developed well. Sure.
0: Well, this has been a fabulous, fabulous time, John. I know your time is okay. in in great demand and, and I so appreciate you taking this time to sit and speak with me and share so much of your knowledge that you've uh, uh, obtained throughout your life. Thank you. Yeah, Stefan, thank you so
1: much as well. Uh, As you can probably tell, I get a little passionate about these topics and because they fit into a purpose for me as well. So help. Thanks for helping me fulfill my purpose today.
0: Indeed. Well, be well, be safe and keep on teaching people how to be great leaders and making a wonderful impact on people's lives.
1: Right on. I'll leave with, um, my fundamental belief in leadership, which is, it's not what you do, it's what you do next. I love
0: it. All All right, we'll end there. Take care, John. Thank you. you. To learn more about John and his business, Zero Point Partners, please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 97. I'm looking for more ratings and reviews, so please stop right now and give us a five-star rating. Share this episode and the other episodes you love with friends, families, and just your neighbors. Many thanks to everybody who helps put the Jackson Hole Connection on each week. Michael Mori, my editor and marketing director, my wife Laura, my boys Lewis and William, I love you to death, and everybody who listens regularly. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.